You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I am just elated, overwhelmed, thankful to have my my brother. I almost said my little brother. He is, but I don't feel like he is. He's just, uh, I mean, we're about a year and 11 months apart to the day. I'm an April 1st. He's a March 1st. We just believe in first. You know, I mean, come on. I got saved September the 1st. I mean, just, you know, if, if it's the 1st, something's big's going to happen. But uh, I, I, I tell you, I love him so much. And he was the co-founder of our church. Uh, he was the founder of our Christian school uh, that we celebrate, you know, every day on campus uh, here at Gospel Light now for the past, you know, 30, uh, 20, 29, 28, 29 years. Um, but more than that, he's just the best friend I've ever had in the world. I mean, you know, it's just there's something about our friendship. I'm so blessed to have him. And, uh, you know, I think about you know, spending time with people, when I, can, when I can just spend quality time. I love hanging out with my dad. I love my mom. I love my family. But there's something about sitting across a table with my bro and having a conversation like we did yesterday for a couple of hours at a local restaurant here in town and just you know, pouring out our hearts about ministry and family and things we're struggling with, things we're dealing with together as, as brothers. I mean, it was so refreshing. And it's almost like you just feel like you can press the reset button when you're around somebody like that, that builds you up, and Brett does that for me, and I love him. He pastors a great church in Las Vegas called Shadow Hills. His staff was here this week, and they had their staff retreat in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I'm really glad that I think they're coming back next year. So we make and make this just an annual Sunday right here where my brother can preach, our co-founder can preach here in our pulpit. Would you join me in welcoming my brother Brett to the pulpit to preach? All right, I think I'm on. It is great to be back home. What a crowd, and uh, great to be back in Hot Springs. I love this city. I moved here in 1978 with my brother and my mom, and then we back here in 1991-92 to start uh, Gospelite Baptist Church. And man, I was thinking about another uh, portion of that song, Preacher, it talks about that God is faithful in every season, and that really, uh, I think, is going to segue with the message. But there's also that line that says, he's been faithful through generations. And how real that was to me in my heart today as I saw Dan and Monica, one of their children, be baptized, and Johan and Lydia, one of their children, be baptized. And students in our Christian school, um, uh, Hudson and Tatum, and thinking about uh, the years that I got to teach Lydia and Monica. And I don't know that we should thank God that I didn't ruin them or, or they didn't ruin me. Or maybe we did ruin each other. I don't even know. But what a blessing just to see them married, in church, serving God. Now, they're young people baptized. On the day that I'm here, like, that's just unbelievable. I like this pulpit. This pulpit is great. It reminds me of the first pulpit we had in our first building. <laughs> and, and, and when I say it reminds me of it, it doesn't remind me of it at all, right? So if you remember the first little block building we had over on 3rd and South, we had a pulpit uh, that was bigger than the room. And uh, it would have been good for serving drinks or dealing cards. Uh, no, Sorry. I mean, we got a casino now, so we can make casino jokes, and I pastor in Las Vegas. But um, anyway, those are the days, man. We thought we knew what we were doing, but God has been so faithful, and, uh, and that is shown even through the people who were, were saved and baptized that we got to celebrate today. Well, First Kings in your Bible, First Kings, and that's in the Old Testament, of course, but maybe that's not an of course to you. This is a safe place if you're just now figuring out what a relationship with Jesus would look like in your life. 
and you've come to the church for the first, second, third time, uh, you'll find it, all right? So go to your Old Testament. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Am I good so far? All right. So then first and second Samuel and first and second Kings. If you get the Chronicles, you've gone too far. First Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to preach this morning with the help of God on this subject, the struggle of depression. The struggle of depression. Of course, that's a weighty subject, right? And so I want you to pray for me if you haven't already, just that God would help. He blessed, I think, tremendously in the in the first service. So as I was talking to Eric in the weeks leading up to today's sermon, and we always, he preaches for me a lot in Vegas as well. He's always like, man, are you, are you in a series? Do you want me to preach something specifically? And normally, I just want him to preach what, what, is, what God's given him. You know, I, I don't want to guide him too much when I get a guest speaker like that. Just preach what you want. And he kind of said the same thing. And when I mentioned to him this message, he said, wow, it actually fits perfectly in this series that we've been in on trials. And so I love it when God does things like that. So I got to listen to a little bit of a few of the messages and get an idea. And it seems like the overarching theme that we're going to look at in this series is that when God allows, right, for the child of God, when he allows trials of any sort to come into our lives, he does so with a purpose, right? Aren't you glad about that? Um, I know you've been springboarding off of Job and what he said in Chapter 23, verse 10, when he said that God knows the way. He knows the way that I take. He, he knows where I am, and when I get through this, I'm going to come out as gold. And so uh, let's, let's keep that in mind as an undergirding, as a foundation, as we look at this kind of deep, again, subject of the idea of depression. And so in that, we're going to look at the story of Elijah. And I'm going to read these verses. I don't always announce the translation that I'm reading from, but I'm reading from the Living Bible this morning. And I feel like sometimes when you get into an Old Testament text, not always, but sometimes it kind of brings some of this uh, language alive even a little bit more. I remember hearing from Billy Graham's grandson, and I'm not name dropping here, but I've been very, very fortunate to have a friendship uh, with his grandson. And he's been kind of a mentor to me, give me advice through the years. And he, he told me that his granddad, Billy Graham, told him that uh, when, you're, when you're looking at the Old Testament, often a good text to look at is the TLB. So this is straight from Billy Graham this morning, all right? <laughs> and, and God, all right? So here we go. Verse 1. And when Ahab told Queen Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal, she sent this message to Elijah. You killed my prophets, and now I swear by the gods that I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow night. And so Elijah fled for his life. He, he went to Beersheba, a city of Judah. He left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and sat down under a broom bush. And he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he told the Lord. Take away my life. I've got to die sometime. It might as well be now. And then he laid down and he slept beneath the broom bush. But as he was sleeping, the angel touched him and told him to get up and eat. In verse 6, he looked around. He saw some bread baking on hot stones in a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him again. And he said, get up, eat some more. For there is a long journey ahead of you. And so Elijah got up. He ate, he drank again, he, the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, the struggle with 
depression. I want to start by saying this, that depression of spirit, of mind, of heart, whether it be a physiological thing, um, whether it be uh, simply a, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing, uh, whatever it might be, it's not new, right? It's nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. I want to say something else as we get started about this idea of depression. Not only is it not new, but it's not uncommon at all. In fact, the, the, the stats tell us that each of us, have, each of us in this room have a 1 in 10 chance of becoming severely depressed at some point in our lives. And of course, everyone's going to battle with it. I think you'd agree to some extent. Um, and then I thought it was interesting to note uh, that some studies have found that depression can be more physically debilitating, all right, than even some physical or body, uh, bodily uh, diseases or maladies. In other words, you, you can become depressed and it can result in physiological issues in your body that can be as as debilitating as things like diabetes or, or lung disease or high blood pressure. This is, a, this is a real thing that affects us physically as well. And so um, battling depression, it's not an easy thing. It's not a lightweight thing. And uh, according to the World Health Organization, and I, I'm just laying a little bit of foundation because I want to make a point, and I'm almost done with these numbers, but according to the World Health Organization, so looking worldwide at this very moment, 300 million people around the world are suffering from depression. If we bring it home to the United States and we look just at our adult population, about 16 million adults this year, 16 million will, will suffer a major depressive disorder. So having said all that, it's incredible to think that there is still a, a large stigma surrounding depression, isn't there? Even in the church, maybe especially in the church, um, there just is. Uh, a lot of people um, view this type of thing as a, as a weakness, as a deficiency. Some people will think and say that if a person is walking with God, if a Christian is walking with God, that they will never be depressed. I remember hearing that in church growing up. And by the way, I don't want to chase this rabbit too far, but I remember hearing a lot of things in church growing up that probably weren't true. And that's okay, I guess so. I mean, I heard the gospel, praise the Lord. Made a lot of great relationships, and I thank God, but I heard a lot of untrue things in the church. And one of those was, if you're depressed, then you're not spiritual. If you're depressed this morning, you're battling with it or know somebody that is, it does not mean, watch me, it does not mean that you are unspiritual or an unspiritual person. It means you're a real person. So just take some solace in that this morning. In fact, the Bible records that a lot of faith icons that we, um, that we look to in Scripture, and by the way, let's don't make anybody the, the hero or heroine of the Bible except Jesus Christ, right? But we, we can look at the lives of men and women who can learn from them. But Moses struggled with depression. Jeremiah struggled. Job, of course, went through some deep times of dark depression. And then through church history, probably there's not a more across-denominational lines pastor, preacher, theologian that is quoted more than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You may or may not know that Charles Spurgeon struggled so severely with depression um, that in the latter part of his ministry, he was forced to be out of his pulpit about three months a year. And at one point, he said this to his church, and I quote, I am the subject of depression of spirit so fearful 
that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go through. You may even know that's not in the top ten quotes that we normally hear from Spurgeon from the pulpit, right? Let me tell you what Spurgeon said. I'm so stinking depressed. But he did, right? And so even mature Christians can suffer from depression. Um, And in 1 Peter, this is really, I think, what's addressed. Look at verses 6 through 8. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. These trials are only to test your faith to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. Shout out to the verse that we read in Job. We see the parallel there. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. You love him. And even though you've never seen him, Though not seeing him, you trust him. And even now, even in the midst of the darkness, the depression, the cloud, the emptiness that you feel deep in your soul, even now you are happy. Why? Because of an inexpressible joy that comes from heaven itself. Um, And so this morning, I want us to look really closely at this text, this story of the prophet Elijah and find just some basic tools for us to use for ourselves, for to help others in dealing with this thing that we call depression. I'm going to do a little bit of textual background leading up to what we read in 1 Kings 19, the first several verses, and look back to what had taken place prior. But many of you know, and if you don't, that's fine, but Elijah was a prophet of God. And he was a prophet of God at the time in the life of the nation of Israel when the leadership was wicked, all right? And so um, the leadership was leading people to worship false gods, and so God judged the land with drought, with famine. And uh, Elijah, some of you remember this, one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible. He challenged this wicked, ungodly King Ahab to a to a duel, if you will, or to a, to a challenge on the top of Mount Carmel, this public contest in which on one side we had 850 prophets of the false god Baal, right, who's kind of Ahab's boy, right? And then you had Elijah on the other side, and it was to see which side, which group would be able to call down from heaven or from wherever for that matter, but fire to come down upon a slain animal sacrifice upon an altar and to consume that sacrifice. Well, if you know the story, and again, we'll go through it, but you remember that the 850 false prophets went first. And the Bible says they tried from early morning until late afternoon, man. They, they prayed and they, they begged their God, their gods to, to come through and, and to send fire. Um, they, they ranted and they raved and, and sadly they literally cut themselves. But the Bible says to no avail nothing happened. And then it, then it came Elijah's turn, right? And, uh, and God answered Elijah. Our God came through. All right? Not only our God, if you know him this morning, but, but the God, right? The true God, the, the one God, the only God. Our God came through, and not only did he consume the animal sacrifice, which if you remember was by then, because Elijah was feel, feel, feeling himself a little bit. So by then, the animal sacrifice was drenched with water, and, and, and the altar was drenched with water. And not only did uh, God send fire that consumed the, the animal sacrifice, but the whole altar itself was decimated because of the power 
of our God. And the Bible says the Israelites who witnessed it fell on the ground and they worshiped God. And this is a testimony of living for the Lord in this generation. We do so with love. We do so without our judgment, but understanding that God is judge. And we live out the implications of the gospel in, in front of a, a watching world so that they may not see us and prop us up, but they, they may worship our God. And this is what happened. And so, and so then, in this incredibly bold move, right after that, Elijah says, I tell you what, all 850 of these prophets of Baal will be executed. All right. Okay. So, so when King Ahab told Queen Jezebel about Elijah's uh, elimination of 850 of her prophets, she became fuming mad. And you could basically say that Jezebel put a hit. She put a contract out on, uh, like soprano style, right? Like out on Elijah's life. And so Elijah uh, uh, fled, uh, flee, flees, flees, he fled for his life. And if you think about the geographical implications, the Bible says that he ran to Beersheba. Uh, Beersheba was 115 miles away, all right? And so he's running from Jezebel uh, 115 miles, and the Bible says he dropped off his servants in Beersheba. Then he went a whole nother day's journey, and he finally, he finally just stops. He finally stops, and he breaks down under this broom tree, um, as the TLB describes it. It was really more of a shrub, you know, a little bush that was indigenous and common in Middle Eastern countries. Um, and he is just in deep distress. He is in full-on depression to the point of suicide. Look again at verse 4. He, he, he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under this broom bush, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he told the Lord. Take my life. I've got to die sometime, and it might as well be now. So what can we learn from Elijah's experience that can help us? Like where, where does the rubber meet the road? What are the practical implications with our own battles with depression? And I want us to see four quickly, so let me give you the first one, and it's this. What goes up must come down. Now, that sounds super simple, and, I, and it is simple, but I want to unpack it. What goes up must come down. The truth is that life, just, just life, is full of mountains and valleys. It is full of ups and downs. Just kind of mark it down. Like, like just about after every down, there's going to be an up. And just about after every up, there's going to be a down. I tell the pastors on our staff over and over and over again, don't get too high with the highs or low with the lows. Because we come in on some Monday mornings, we start looking at the attendance and, man, the offering and, man, the baptisms and everything else. And, man, we're on a roll. This is going to carry on. And I've been in the ministry long enough to know it might just carry on for like one or two weeks. And you might hit a low, right? So let's try to understand that there are highs and there are lows and praise God through all of that. Um, and in just the chapter right before our text reading today where Elijah is so depressed and wants to end his own life, he had just experienced, right, one of the greatest highs that anyone, can you imagine being in his shoes when God sent fire from heaven and he was able to show the falsity of those false gods on the top of Mount Carmel? I mean, it just doesn't get much better than what Elijah just experienced. But here he is. And so my word for you guys today is this, and I don't know who needs to hear some of these things, but I feel like someone or some ones do, but we just can't live constantly on that emotional high or expect to, whether it be in church, family, marriage, um, 
there are downs after the ups. There are ups after the downs. And so, kind of a, a thought that the Lord gave me as, as, I, as I wrote this message was, was this, is that I think we need to stop uh, looking at depression um, as, as falling or, or climbing our way out of a pit then we need to view it as, as going through a tunnel. Because I feel like sometimes we're so deep, we can see no way out. There, there's no ladder rung. There's no way out of this pit. But don't think of it as much of having to climb out of a pit, but go through a tunnel. And I think we might have this for you in the guide or on the screen, but depression, in other words, it's, it's something to climb. Uh, it's not something as much to climb out of as it is something to go through. God wants to take you through it. It's not about how can you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder and do more, but the grace of God will take you through this tunnel of depression. The psalmist said it like this, that that weeping may last. It's like weeping may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning, right? There's a pretty decent chance that often weeping will last for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. And the idea here is this, and this is for somebody, I don't know, but you're going to get through it. Just, just look at me. Please believe me. You're going to get through it. It's going to end. The deepness, the darkness that you are walking through right now when it comes to depression, this season will end. And at some point, there may be another but Just watch me. It will end. And I, I shared with the church earlier this morning that I, I've battled with depression. And I, and I remember one major, major episode um, in, in late... 2018, early 2019, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and so, man, went to see every single doctor, got blood work done, and certainly there were some physiological things, just even in my body, some vitamin deficiencies and other things that were going on physically, but a lot of it just was stress, anxiety, mental depression, and a bad state of mental health. I remember, and I'll never forget, my brother and my sister-in-law flew out to encourage me and, uh, you know, just those days, and, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand and relate, but those days when you feel like really the only solace you get during the day is when you're asleep. Like when you're asleep, you can get a little bit of a break, but then when you wake up, you just don't even want to take your head off of the pillow. And I remember seeing, again, these doctors and seeing uh, Christian uh, counselors and all of this, and a good pastor friend of mine in town said, hey, you're going to go see a psychiatrist. And I thought, man, I'm like, should I do that? You know? And he said, well, she is. She does know the Lord, but yes, you, you need to see this. And I remember sitting specifically in her office. Her name is Michelle. Um, just a sweet, uh, actually predominantly a child psychiatrist, and that's probably why she could relate with my feeble mind so much. Um, in fact, my pastor friend said, don't be nervous. When you go in, the table you're going to sit at is like this little, and there's toys all over the room. Literally. But she said, we're going we're gonna to try this, we're going to do this, and we're going to look at this treatment, and we're going to look at this, and I'm going to see you back in this much time. But I remember she looked at me, Chloe, she just looked at me, she said, but you're going to get through it. This, this, this is going to end. And I believed her because I thought she was super smart and a psychiatrist and a Christian. And guess what? She was right. And this is a fact. It will end. So be encouraged this morning. Um, Elijah got through his time of depression. Elijah wanted to take his life, but how many of you know Elijah never took his own life? In fact, how many of you know that Elijah never died? (laughs) So we know he didn't take his own life. He literally was swept up like a whirlwind into heaven. And so what goes up must come down. This is a principle that will help us to process. 
The second principle is this that we can learn from Elijah's experience is that depression often occurs when we take our eyes off of God. This is reality. When we take our eyes off of God. If you look back to verse 3 of the text, you see this time when Elijah suddenly takes his eyes off of God and fixes them on Jezebel. Um, It says that Elijah became afraid. He immediately ran for his life when he heard of Jezebel's death threat in verse number 2. And and remember, at Mount Carmel, God had just worked so powerfully and visibly in response to Elijah's prayers. But when Jezebel threatened to take his life in the next 24 hours, he, he forgot it all. He forgot all that. He took his eyes off of the power of God and he focused his eyes on the threat of Jezebel. This is just the word of the Lord. This is just what happened here. And the, the end result, the consequences of taking his eyes off the goodness, the ability, <laughs> the, the omnipotence of God, and placing it upon man, woman, anything, the result was severe for him, severe depression. And when we focus our gaze on our problems, we open the door for depression. In contrast, in contrast, if you remember to what the Word of God says in Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, all those who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. So we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And this is going to have to be intentional, right? Because a lot of times the first thing we think of when there's a hit out in our lives for something that we, you know, we weren't really even guilty of, like we didn't do anything wrong, we tend to just want to run and not always run and trust in the Lord. And we, we can become overwhelmed, all right? A third lesson. Um, physical stress can cause emotional stress. This is the principle we see here, and, I, and, I, and it's, again, simple, but I, I think it can help us. Physical stress can cause emotional stress. We talked a little bit at the beginning about the fact that literally having depression, suffering with severe anxiety, and I know there's nuances between the two, but, and I, I'm not a medical doctor, all right, and I don't play one on television or in church, all right, so I'm not trying to give anybody uh, a diagnosis, but the bottom line is, is that um, we talked earlier that physical depression uh, can, you know, have, uh, I'm sorry, mental depression can have physical implications upon our body that can be as bad or worse as some physical diseases, but on the flip side of that, sometimes it's just the stress of our daily lives or maybe some sort of disease or bodily problem that we're, we're going through that leads to us becoming depressed. Some of you have experienced that. Um, and so uh, let's, let's look um, back at verse 5 through 7. Um, well, before we read that, let me say this. So, so remember, Elijah had just hiked 115 miles. I mean, who wouldn't be a little bit depressed, right? I mean, he's got this hit out on his life. He hikes 115 miles. He goes a whole nother day's journey. He is absolutely exhausted. And then on top of that, if you look back even to his victory on the top of Mount Carmel, man, if you're a pastor in this room, if you're a staff member in this room, if you're a volunteer or just any kind of believer at all, sometimes, man, we uh, experience a spiritual victory, but it still wears us out. I mean, I know some people think that, that pastors are people that really just need to get real jobs, all right? But, but honestly, this is a real job. And, and the stress and the strain of the ministry through the highs and the lows is taxing. I mean, thank God for 34 years of marriage. We should have applauded on that. That's amazing. 
thank God they're going on a 21-day Mediterranean cruise, and you guys are funding that. You're, I don't think it's that long, and I don't think it's out of the country. I also don't think we're going to tell, tell them where you're where going. It's, it's not none of your business, but no, I'm just kidding. But thank God for that. But he needs that, right? I mean, your pastor needs that. So, so, so after a stressful time, even of ministry, even seeing victories, Elijah, but then the, 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 the hike and the, and the hit on his life, depression and burnout was almost inevitable. It was predictable. And so now, so now look at five through seven. So he lays down. He sleeps beneath the broom bush. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him to, to get up, pray 24 hours, fast, go downtown and tell 100 people about Jesus. He didn't tell him to do any of those things. No, those things are all good, right? But I want you to notice what the angel of the Lord told Elijah to do when Elijah was severely depressed and he was lower than he had ever been. The Bible says the angel touched him and told him to get up. And eat. He said, look around. There's some bed, uh, bread baking on hot stones in a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord told him to get up and pray for 24 hours and fast. He went, nope, still, nope. He touched him. And again, he said, why don't you get up and eat a little bit more? There's a long journey ahead of you. The point I'm making is I find it interesting here that the first thing God did to relieve Elijah's depression was to minister to his physical fatigue. Again, this is the word of the Lord, all right? The first thing that God did, the angel of the Lord, God, did was to to minister just to his physical well-being. God fed him fresh-baked bread. He gave him cool water to drink. He told him to get some sleep, and then he told him to eat some more. And sometimes the most practically helpful thing that we can do when we're depressed is to take care of ourselves or help somebody else take care of themselves physically, right? Um, um, eat well. You still okay? All right? Try to eat well. Now, I'm on vacation this week. I'm going to DeLuca's every night, and I'm getting one of those Patsy Circe's or whatever, and I'm going to town, right? Like a, y'all don't know what that is? Come on! My soul! I love to go to the pancake shop. I, I, the grits at the pancake shop, I told my wife, they're so creamy, I feel like they have condensed milk in them. They're just amazing. So I'm probably not eating too well on this trip. But when you, man, when, when, you're, when you're depressed, when you're down, that's, that's a time to take care of yourself. Get rest, eat well, exercise, get out and walk. I remember some days when I was at my deepest and darkest and didn't want to lift, lift my head off the pillow. I hope it's okay to be authentic and transparent in church, but this is just where I was. And, and my wife, my dear sweet wife, she just said, get up. We're, I'm, I'm like, I'm not walking. I don't want to walk. This is not just a funny illustration. I mean, this is the truth. I told her, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. She said, yes, you are. I said, I'm the man of the house. She said, I don't give a flip. Get up. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I said that, actually. I probably didn't have enough strength. And I had more sense. But I would get up in Las Vegas. We have lots of sunshine. And I would just get out and walk. This is practical, but, it, but it's also Bible, right? So take care of yourself. Get Get some rest. And so we've learned that to help with our struggle with depression and right from the pages of the Word of God, what goes up must come down. When, when we take our eyes off of God, depression usually occurs. Physical stress can cause emotional stress. And then lastly, um, we can learn from the prophet Elijah that we're more susceptible to depression when we're alone. When we're alone. 
Remember that Elijah went off by himself. He even took his servants, you know, 115 miles, and he's like, ah, I just got to get by myself. And so he went off, and when we get depressed and discouraged, many times the first thing we want to do is to get off by ourselves. And the last thing we want to do is be around other people, but often and usually that's the worst thing that we can, we can do. Loneliness is one of the biggest contributors to depression. God didn't design us. He didn't hardwire us to, to live like hermits in caves. He wired us beautifully. Aren't you thankful for our God? Um, he, he wired us to live in community with him and to live in, in fellowship with the saints. And, and that's why this gathering is so important. And, and how much did we learn that, that through the years we missed this gathering over the last couple of years, right? But this gathering is important and our community is important and, and, and having family is important. We were meant to be a part of one another's lives. And so when you're struggling with depression, don't go off somewhere. Resist the temptation. I've done it. Resist the temptation to hibernate. That will inevitably only make things worse. In fact, I would suggest that you do the exact opposite. And by that, I mean this. Um, find someone else that you can go and help. It's hard, right? Because sometimes the last thing you want to do is, is, is go, you know, help someone else. You just don't have it. And, and I know Eric has given this illustration. I've given something similar to this before. But it's the idea of having a burden, having this weight, having these trials that we're talking about in this series that you feel like you can't bear. And I'm going to tell you why you feel like you can't bear it. Because you can't bear it on your own, right? And so uh, you've got to have the help of the Lord. But every once in a while, just, just unload it. Um, lay it at Jesus' feet. If you're not feeling spiritual enough to lay it at Jesus' feet, just, just lay it off on the corner of 4th and Garland. Just lay it somewhere. Lay, lay, put it, put it you know, in your closet. Just get rid of it. Take it off of your mind. And then find somebody else. Maybe they have a bigger burden than you, or maybe you don't even think their burden's as big as yours because nobody has a bigger burden than I have. But, but they have a burden. I'm going to help them and invest in them. I'm going to take them out to the coffee collective. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with them a little bit. We're going to listen. I'm going to say, man, have you checked out this new worship song by Maverick City or whatever? Like, we're going to listen to that together. I'm just going to be a sounding board. I'm going to talk. If I'm able to, I'm going to maybe help them out a little bit financially, buy them a gift. And then when I'm done with that, then I remember, and I haven't used a good Arkansas word like this in a long time, but I remember, Dad gummit. I, 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 uh, can you say that in church? It's too, it's too late now. All right, so Dad gummit. Um, I, I got to go get my burden. And either we can't find it or it's greatly lessened. And you may think that's a trite, cliched illustration, but if you do think that, you've probably never tried it. <laughs> um, because it works. Um, Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. All you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, wear my yoke, for it fits Perfectly. Let me teach you, for I am gentle and humble. Doesn't that describe every Christian you know, gentle and humble? Well, not everyone, right? But this is our goal. Uh, Jesus said, I am gentle and humble, and you shall find rest for your souls. And so ultimately, in our struggle with depression, we ought to run to and lean on Jesus. Don't run somewhere first and clean yourself up. Don't run somewhere first and get the problem fixed and then go to Jesus. No, run to him in all of your brokenness. Um, 
Another thing that we ought to do, and I, I'm, I'm done, but just a couple of takeaways. We ought to run to Jesus, and I really feel like another great help spiritually in our battle with depression is to, is to praise the Lord. Um, I heard a sermon years ago called Praising Your Way Out of Your Problems. It's one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. But look at, look at Psalm 42:11. The psalmist said, why am I so sad? Have you ever thought that before? Like I have. Like sometimes I know exactly why I'm sad, but there's other times, why am I? Why am I so sad? Um, why, why am I so upset? But then he begins to reason and say, man, I should have. I should put my hope in God, and I should praise God. One of the reasons that I'm so sad and so upset is I'm not focusing on God. I'm not praising Him. I'm not sinking in His goodness. Um, and then quickly meditate on Jesus as well. This, this verse right here, man, whew. Psalm 119.71, I remember, um, again, this, this time, this three-month period in my life, and it's not the only time that I've struggled with depression, but praise the Lord, I learned so much through this incredibly dark season um, that, that I've been able to make some adjustments in my life by the grace of God. But I, I looked at this verse, Psalm 119.71, and I could say at some point, I'm done, but look at me, I could say this, my suffering was good for me. That it was good for how could it be good? Because it was so hard, man. My suffering was good for me. But look at what the psalmist says, because it taught me to pay attention to you, God. Like I was flat on my back. It taught me to pay attention to your word, to your decrees. My suffering was good for me. And I think an implication here is this: is that when we're in that dark place something that we really ought to consider is this is what does God want to teach me about who he is in this season versus just how can I get out of it and when is it going to end and those things are all but what does God want to teach me in this season that I probably won't learn in any other season but now and then just practically speaking I want to leave us with this before we stand pray sing and, and go but um, if you're in this place right now uh or you know someone who is, speak up. Let's help lift that stigmatism of mental health. To class. I mean, look, a lot has been done over the last few decades, but we have a lot of work to do. Church often is supposed to be this safe space, safe place, safe haven, and, and sometimes it's just not, if we're just honest, right? Because we're human and we fail, but let's make gospel light. Let's make our circles, let's make our people a place that we can speak up, that we can talk about it, and that we can get help. And I want to say this. Um, there are plenty of us that have walked down this road, and we will walk it with you. Um, so know that. You don't have to isolate yourself. You're not weird. Well, there's a couple of you I've known for a while that are kind of weird. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. You're not weird. You're not damaged goods. I'll tell you who you are. I'll tell you what your name is. You're beloved of God if you know him as your Savior this morning, right? He's a good, good father. And I'm loved by him. That's, that's who I am. I'm not some weak, broken person that society should look at as somebody that has some problem, that's stigmatized. I'm loved by God. Remind yourself of that. And you may feel extremely weak this morning or next week or next year. Or maybe it's your son, your daughter. I mean, I don't know. But again, if you're a believer in Christ, if you put your faith in him, 
like these testimonies this morning of these incredible people. Um, it's in our weakness that the transformative power of Christ and the gospel shows off. We become strong. We, we got to get to that point sometimes. Maybe it's not going to be through depression. Maybe it's going to be through chronic pain. Maybe it's going to be through the loss of a spouse or a child. Uh, you know, the heartbreaks and heartaches sometimes seem endless, right? But it's in that complete, utter weakness when I absolutely can't figure it out that I have an opportunity to get strength that I can't even imagine. In my weakness, he is strong. You guys still believe the Bible. I know you do, right? Gospel I Baptist Church is still Gospel I Baptist Church. So from 1992 to 2022, the constant that has remained is the message and the truth of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't glory in that, but we glory in God in that. We're, we're a blessed people. Would you stand with me if you are able to stand this morning? Um, and bow your heads and close your eyes. And I simply ask you to do that because I want to have a prayer for us. And I invite you, if you'd like to pray silently along with me as I pray, I think there's power in that. Maybe, maybe you're like, preacher, I'm really not the praying type. And that's cool. You're good. But if you would just bow your heads out of respect and reverence to God because I want to have a prayer for you, for each of you, and for myself, for my family, for my church. And then right after I pray, our team is going to lead in a powerful song. And, uh, and I know Pastor Eric will be up here. I'll be up here. There's other staff up here. Um, you know, the invitation today is just like it is every single week. Whatever it is that, that you need prayer about, whatever it is that we can help you with, maybe you are struggling um, or seeking uh, what it would look like for you to have a relationship with Christ. We, we baptized this morning, and, and, and we all clapped. But maybe there was a handful of you in here like, that's great and everything, but what does that even mean? Great question. Great question. Why don't you come and find one of us and ask us about salvation or baptism? Or maybe it's just, you know, hey, this can't all be fixed in a, in a two-minute prayer. But, Pastor, I'd just like for you to pray for me this morning. I need to get some help. Or I know someone that needs to get some help um, when it comes to this idea of depression. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this church, this school ministries here, God. I thank you for Pastor Eric and the whole staff, but I just want to thank you this morning for his love, first and foremost for you, second, clearly for his wife and family, this church, and his love for this city, for this community. To me, that's inspiring. So Lord, in this season that's ahead of this pastor, would you guard his heart? Would you strengthen his soul? Would you encourage his mind? We pray in faith, believing that. And for the people that were in here today that thought, oh my goodness, Brett, it was like you laid a matching latent fingerprint over my life. Some of the things you mentioned are the exact same things I've struggled with or I'm struggling with now. I pray for you this morning. I love you this morning. And way more important than that, though that is important to know that I do love you, God loves you, and he wants to carry you through this tunnel and lead you to the other side. Bless God as we respond. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys for your time. I love you guys.